Hey, he's Grump. He's also Grump. And he's the Gump. Another episode of Who Talks First. I'm one of your hosts. I'm CT. I'm your other host. I'm Solo. So we've been off the air for a little bit, and it's been about three weeks. So we have a lot to cover in today's episode. And I had intended to use this hiatus time to kind of give our podcast a makeover. You know, we haven't really had a podcast name in a while. We haven't decided on what it is. It's still Who Talks First, right? It is. <laughs> well, I, I. Yeah, I wanted to kind of, like, set that in stone mm-hmm. of us being Who Talks First. But, yeah, Lucasfilm taking that from us. It has me quicken in my boots. But they haven't done anything again, right? No, they've only done that one episode. So yeah. I'm kind of hoping they're like, oh, we Oop. should... Whoops! Whoopsie poopsie. I sure hope so. And I wanted to get us, like, new theme music and new cover art. But all of those endeavors did not work out. <laughs> so, <laughs> welcome to... You shot high! I did. But so yeah, the theme music that you're listening to here is not our theme music. It's just what's gonna be there for. You're not right gonna now. use my singing for. No, you no you you there, but we have the other one there too. <laughs> Part of it always gonna be there. No, please God, no. But the second half is not going to be. So, but we have a lot, a lot of lot of stuff to cover in today's episode because we've missed so much, and so I think we should just kind of jump right into it. So the first thing. We're going to talk about today is that a new series of films have been announced there by Bainoff. If I can say their what names right, Bainoff, ba- ba- Bainoff and Weiss, the the Game, Game of Thrones, Thrones guys. guys. Yep, that's a thing. Interesting, confused, but interesting. If it's a Kotor era thing, that would be pretty cool. But I connect so much of those guys with. Hyper violence and hyper sex and all of that stuff that I'm like sex. Hyper sex. Activate the hyper sex drive. drive. Ooh, a hyper sex drive? That's such a good Star Wars thing. Yep. (laughs) Never mind. Nailed it. You know what? All my uh, my uh, my reservations are all gone. Yeah. I'm all about D and D taking over. Like with with this, there's a few. I, I admittedly I have a few concerns. The for your boy. For my boy. You're afraid oh. now that because... Oh, because of Kylo. Yeah. Yeah, that, that wasn't one of them that I was going to say, but uh, I was going to actually say, like... I'm going to call you out. You're afraid that because there's there's all these new trilogies announced that Kylo might not live. Yeah, I won't, I won't lie. That is one of my concerns, because the more that they are announcing new series of movies, yep. the more it kind of seems like they're preparing us that, oh, the Skywalker saga's over. Yep. And... Yeah, I'm not a huge fan of that. I can see that being the, the what they do. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I feel like the Skywalker saga, they don't want to close the door on that completely. They can end episode, episode 9 saying that's, saying that's going to be the end of it. Because you, you, you do, in a way, want episode 9 to be the end. You want that to be the happy ending. ending. Yeah. Because you don't necessarily want a 10, 11, 12, because that means things go to shit again. Yeah, no, I want a happy ending, though. <laughs> yeah, I want Kylo to live. Yeah. But... 
it just makes me a little a little worried mm-hmm. with all of these new series of films because this is this is separate from Ryan Johnson's series of films, and separate from the anthology movies and separate from the TV shows. There's so much going on. So one of my more actual concerns is that I think there's going to be too much. I want to get Star Wars burnout. I I think a big part. I feel that of the Star Wars hype is that it kind of goes dormant for a while. It goes to sleep for years and then comes back and everyone's really excited. And this, with this current schedule, it sounds like they're going to have maybe even two films a year, which I think is too much. What? They said they have multiple uh, TV shows in production. I mean, I guess that's what Marvel does, but I... I mean, that's the same thing, because I have Marvel Burnout. I don't watch any of the shows. Well, that's, like, and that's what I'm completely kind of referencing why yeah. I'm concerned about this. I go, Marvel I Marvel does this, and yeah. I've, I have Marvel Burnout. Yeah. I go see every movie that comes out, basically. But I the haven't shows, even seen... Shows, I don't care. I haven't seen the shows. I haven't even seen all the Marvel movies. We just saw Black Panther, though, by the way. Which was Whoa! amazing. Quick, like, sidetrack, but it was flipping amazing. Fucking Fantastic. Like I said, I think my there's some uh, reason to be concerned for some Star Wars burnout. For at least, I'm feeling this. Clearly, everyone's going to be super into everything that comes out. But I think some of the magic of Star Wars for me is that it kind of goes to sleep for a while. And you can and then it comes back up. And, I mean, we have, like, the TV shows in between him, like Clone Wars and Rebels and stuff like that. But with movies every year... I just, I just don't know, and it, like, what does that mean for the future of the saga, like we talked about? Yeah. I was kind of having this debate with my boyfriend, and I was getting a little touchy with him, because if you guys didn't know, I like Kylo. Because <laughs> <laughs> we can talk about where does this take place, and uh, Matt was very, very adamant that this film, these series of films should take place after the sequel trilogy. Which I am adamantly against. I want old stuff. I want KOTOR era. I Yeah, I think the old stuff is far more interesting, in my opinion, that you, you have a lot more freedom in the old stuff. Mm-hmm. And I still think that the numbered trilogy movies are going to kind of take priority. And so if you do movies in the future, uh, even if it's like 5,000 years in the future, that's somehow going to affect the yeah, Skywalker absolutely. saga. Like, that's just... That's going to affect what you can do there. So if you go 5,000 years in the past, really nothing you do in that era can affect the movies where you are. Not right really. No. Not really. All you just it... can't do is have the Sith go in, like extinct. Yeah. And if the KOTOR era of any of that stays canon, we know that the Sith kind of had this ultimate power for a really long time. Mm-hmm. And the, like the Mandalorian Wars. And I think a lot of that has... There's a lot of stuff in there... That wouldn't affect, I think, the priority movies, which I think will remain the Skywalker movies. Absolutely. Even if they say they're ending at nine, I, d- I just don't think they're going to be like, we're, we're never going to open up that door again. I mean, I, I completely agree. And or, I'm more hoping that because that means Kylo has to survive. <laughs> yeah. Uh... Unless they clone him or he gets laid right before he I dies. definitely don't trust the Game of Thrones guys to do anything near the current canon. Ryan, in his trilogy, I could see trusting him to do something ar- around the era of, like, current canon. 
I still don't know where I would want it placed. I still want them both to go back in time. I I, I think one series with, like, the birth of the Jedi would be interesting, and then one series more in the KOTOR era would be more interesting. I think if they're running at the same time, that'll be too confusing for people. They're both going to be before, and even if they're 500 years apart, people are going to be too confused. But if something happened afterward, I think people will think have that same sort of confusion of, is this a Skywalker movie or not? Well, right. That's why I... I I feel like Ryan could do a set of movies that's kind of more in line with either, maybe the original trilogy, something that's happening around the same time, but not with the Skywalkers. Yeah, I, I'm kind of done with the original trilogy era movies because we've gotten what we're going to... Well, it could be prequel, it could be original, like, I, I or it could more, be sequel. I would be okay with more of the prequel mm-hmm. era, but, I mean, all of the anthology movies have been original trilogy. Yeah, no. And around that era, and assuming that the last one is either going to be Boba Fett mm-hmm. or Obi Wan, yeah, that's also going to be around the New Hope or the original trilogy era. I mean, people were very confused about Rogue One. They're like, "Is this uh, Episode Eight? No, I just think they're making too many, too much stuff. No, I mean, I'll, I'll agree. And I'm also not a huge fan of uh, the D and D guys. Like, I'm not sure how much credit. We can give them for Game of Thrones when Game of Thrones is based off a book series. Yeah. We keep our, like, in and the what press was there, release. Was, weren't they also going to do, weren't they also going to do They were also that, the Confederate show. Yeah, the really problematic Confederate show? Yeah, they, that was all. The, like, that. super problematic? The, like... Yeah, and in the press release, Kathleen Kennedy kind of said they were like, oh, the, the great creatives of our time. And I'm like, can, can you... They adapted a, a book series really well, and let me tell you, the things that they, they added to the show are all changed. I hate it so. Yeah, right? Um, a lot of the shit that they did was terrible. The, their actions are the reasons I stopped watching the show, because I used to love Game of Thrones, and mm. there were up to some certain scenes, which I'm sure some of you, a lot of you can figure out what it was, that I was like, I have to be out of this show. And then at the end of season, when, whenever Stannis dies, mm-hmm. I forgot what season that was. I, that's the season I stopped watching. Uh, maybe six? I feel like six. I think that was the end of six. Six, maybe. When Brianna Tarth goes and kills Stannis and you don't see it. You don't see Stannis die. And so everyone's like, oh, did he- Did he did, live? Did he live? Did Bran not kill him? And are they going to work to get something? And then D&D goes, oh, well, it's going to be too gratuitous to show him die. After you have to see these, like, horrible, violent rape scenes. Mm-hmm. But it was too gratuitous to see the villain die. Because Stannis, by that point, everyone fucking hates Stannis. Oh, I liked Stannis for, like, two episodes. And then he burnt the, his daughter alive. Uh, yep. And you're like, uh... I had to see that. Yeah, right? Got to see that. But, no, killing Stannis, too gratuitous. I'm like, okay, uh, we're done here. Yeah, fuck off. <laughs> anyway... Moving on to, like, happier news. The Star Wars Last Jedi deleted scenes. Ah. Those were announced. And yes. um, I'm just going to read off the list. There's All an right. alternate opening. Okay. Uh, Paige's guns jam. Mm-hmm. Luke has a moment. Poe, not much of a sewer. Okay. <laughs> like sewer? Like No, like a like sewer. sewer. Okay. It's kind of weird that you recorded that. The caretaker sizes up Ray caretaker village sequence which i want to cut in that's the sequence i'm most excited about i really really wish the sequence was left in the movie i'm like how much do you know about the the sequence zero okay so this is luke's third lesson oh no you told me about it okay so 
for those of you who don't know, this is Luke's third lesson, which basically he lies to Ray, and Ray notices that there's this, like, this bright light, and it looks like fires coming from a part of the island. Luke tells Ray that every so often this group of raiders come and destroy basically where the caretakers live, the nun, the fish nuns. Ray's like, oh, we gotta go help him. And Luke's like, no, that's not what the Jedi do. The Jedi let nature take its course. This is part of the nature. This is part of their cycle. Like, mm-hmm. we just let nature take its course. We're we are peacekeepers, blah. Ray's like, fuck you. And she runs off to go try to save these caretakers. But it turns out that they are not being raided. Mm-hmm. That, in fact, once a month, their uh, male counterparts come to visit for a little bit of a party. Mm-hmm. Basically, the male car- counterparts go and fish and for a month, and they come back and give them the food for the month. Mm-hmm. And they have the celebration where they're all reunited and fish kiss. And so Ray gets there when she's ready to, like, kill some people. And everyone's like, okay, what? What? Why are you interrupting us in our party? You weren't invited. It kind of, like, pushes this... The, the sexual undertones and, like, themes of this movie, yeah. for one, is kind of, like, the fear of exploring that, mm-hmm. which I would have loved for one thing. And so Luke comes, and Ray's obviously even more fucking pissed off. Ryan said he ended up taking this out of the movie because it made Luke seem like a huge jerk, mm-hmm. which I agree, but it also emphasizes that final push to Kylo even even more. Yeah. Because Luke lies to her. Mm-hmm. And so, clearly, when Kylo's like, he's not telling you the truth, Ray's a little bit more willing to listen because he had just lied about this one thing to try to teach her a lesson, which was weird. And so, it makes that final push to listen to Kylo just make a little more narrative sense. Obviously, I still Mm -hmm. think it makes sense, but I think that scene would have been really cool to have in the movie. Yeah, and it would have driven home for a lot of people who are, like, naysayers right now. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? I agree. But past that, there's the ex- an extended father chase, which I just assume we're going to see more Canto Bite. Interesting. Um, Mega Destroyer Incursion. Extended version. Okay. Rose bites the hand that taunts her. Phasma. <laughs> oh, I wonder if she bites a stormtrooper. That's what I hope she Ooh. does. Um, Phasma squealed like a whoop hog. That's what one of these scenes is called. Oh, great. Rose and Finn go to where they belong. Ray and Chewie on the Falcon. And the costumes and creatures of Candobite, which I just assume is just more Candobite yeah. stuff. So it does sound like the, the hair floopy scene is going to be in there, then. I, I assume so. If Finn and Rose go where they belong, I'm like, oh, that'll be cute. Yeah, I assume that the hair floopy scene will be in there. And then, I'm excited for Ray and Chew and the Falcon. I don't think there's any substance on that scene, but Ray is really absent from the final arc mm-hmm. of that movie. And, I mean, the rest of the movie's been about her, so I guess it's time that they show so much what else is going on. Uh-huh. But... Ray is my favorite, so I was kind of, I, I kind of get said that she's pretty absent during mm. the, the final battle. They're like, oh, she's there flying around. She's just like, like, oh, we're going off of the TIE Fighters. Peace. Yeah. But yeah, those are the, the Star Wars related things that just came out, and there, there's a lot more Star Wars news that have has come out, but since we've been gone for so long, we're going to kind of fast forward through a lot of it, because we're talking about Star Wars Rebels today. Eventually. Eventually. We only have one thing that I really want to cover. Uh, the last thing I want to cover before we move into Rebels is that Han Solo had a big Entertainment Weekly spread done about them. I will say the first thing. I'm not super trusting of the EW coverage because, I mean, it, a lot of journalistic flair 
is given to these. For example, is this the same guy who? It's always Anthony Bresnikan. Okay. Who's like, oh, Harrison Ford was like a covert advisor to the movie. It translates to Harrison and Alden had lunch one day. And also right. stuff like George Lucas secretly directed a scene in Han Solo when like her- George Lucas just came to set one day. Like, yeah, it's a, a lot of journalistic flair. So I'm not sure how much to trust these things, especially when previously Anthony Bresnikan had like written things <laughs> like about how Kylo hates rain. You're really going to see this in this movie or something like that. And uh-huh. like, okay, that wasn't true. Right. At all. The second one being that there was like no romance whatsoever. And even if you deny the rain Kylo stuff, Finn and Rose, you can't yeah. deny that they had a romantic thing. Yeah. I mean, I feel like you can't deny either of them, but come on. So I, I'm just going to, there's a lot of articles that came out. I'm just kind of going to talk about the highlights from the articles that were specifically about Han, were specifically about Kira, and specifically about Lando. Okay. And mostly I want to do this because I feel slightly better about Kira right now, but we'll see how... S- we'll see if they bite the hands that feed us. Yeah. No, 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 no. One of the quotes is, this is me being Anthony Bresnikan. Got it. <laughs> yeah, thank you. Let's talk about the other people in this character's life. Kira, Amelia Clark's character, is a big part of young Han Solo's early years. What do we need to know about these, uh, what do we need to know about the two of them? And then Alden replies, yeah, they've known each other for a long time and she's a very important person in his life. Anthony Bresnikan. Is she more savvy than he is? Less idealistic? How would you contrast their personalities? Alden. I think she has a slightly different way of handling herself in this tough universe. She's better at working the system rather than bucking against it. Now, originally, this is the first article that I read. Mm -hmm. Originally, I was like, oh no. Does that mean she's a senator? Right. Does <laughs> like, that mean she works with the government? Because when I read that, it's like, oh, she's better than working with the system than against it. Like, you mean like a politician? <laughs> Goddamn. Yeah. Like a corrupt politician? Like all politicians? <laughs> well, more like Leia was a senator. Yeah, yeah. So. I'm just kidding. <laughs> moving forward, um, I, I'm Anthony again. Can you give us a sense of what Han is like when we meet him at the start of the movie? Obviously, we see him evolve. What's different from the guy we know? Alden. I think the main thing that's different is that Han we meet in the beginning of the film is more of an idealist. He has certain dreams that he follows, and we watch how it affects him as those dreams meet new realities, realities that are harder and more challenging than he expected. Anthony, can you see what this dream is? I assume it's bigger than Smuggler. Alden, I can't say exactly, but it's definitely invo- it definitely involves independence and calling your own shots. Anthony, can you explain independence? What do you mean? He just wants to call his own shots, or is he indentured in some way? Answer. Well, one thing that you that you kind of know about the Star Wars universe, but you learn in a much more impactful way as you get into it, is that living in the universe is hard. Most people, especially during the reign of the Empire, are under the control of some kind of force or another. No pun intended. Having the resources and stabili- stability to call your own shots, do what you want, have freedom, isn't something that comes easily. So Han's dream involves making that all happen for himself. By the book of what I've expected for Han, it kind of makes me think that we're going to get the the story that I didn't necessarily want, but kind of expected. And yeah. I don't even fault them for it, because it's an easy story to do. Because they're going to do the story of why Han was the way he was mm-hmm. at the beginning of A New Hope. Instead of seeing Han 
just being kind of an ass. And I get I get that. Um, At least this way, it doesn't even sound like he's really going to be likable. It just sounds like he's going to be a little bit more young and naive and idealistic. Mm-hmm. But not even idealistic in a good way. Like, more like, I'm going to be a millionaire and I'm going to make it all happen. Kind of like the Flynn Rider yeah. idealistics. Like, I just want a castle. Yeah. That's what I want. Um, so moving forward to the article about Kira, Anthony Bresnikan has this little flair to write about her. This is a character who doesn't want her full resume out there. She's a woman of the shadows of secrecy. She's a woman of many identities, the truest one hidden away and only visible to those who trust, which may be no one. This immediately made me feel better about Kira. Better about Kira because this is much different from Leia. If we know anything from Leia is that Leia is very honest. Yes. (laughs) Very brutally honest Uh about everything. And so I think if they go the route that Kira kind of is very secretive and kind of manipulative and a, m- manipulative and a liar don't use different personalities and stuff to get what she wants. Yeah. I think they could route that way if she ends in the way and the end of the movie ends up betraying them in some sort of way. Mm-hmm. Would m- make a good reason for why Han would fall in love with someone like Leia who's kind of wears her heart on her sleeve who mm-hmm. basically just got tortured for hours and then goes up to Tarkin and being like you smell bad. She's very honest yeah. about stuff. So I think that immediately helped me feel better about... Them not being the exact same person. Yeah, and th- that was my biggest concern, is that... But we'll talk about that more later, because there's more stuff. Anthony, she and Han Solo go way back to their childhoods. So, can you characterize the setup of their relationship? Um, Amelia. Well, they grew up as comrades, essentially. They grew up as pals, as partners in crime. There's obviously a romantic side of things, but they grew up together. And the beautiful thing about this Han Solo story is that it's highlighting all of the most brilliant aspects of Han Solo, the character, and characterizing those aspects uh, and characters that he meets on his journey to becoming who he is. Mm. Anthony. The film will give us a reason why he doesn't talk about her. Amelia. Something must have happened to affect him as a person. But for us fans not to know about her, twists happen, and there's, and there's this idea of trust. Who do you trust and how do you trust? In which side of the tracks are either character from or going to? Which, again, Amelia is pretty straightforward <laughs> about this. Yeah. Kind of makes me think that Amelia's, or uh, Kira's exit from Han's life isn't going to be one of, like, honest tragedy, mm-hmm. but one more betrayal, which, again, makes me feel more uncomfortable. Because I don't... I. There's so Makes many you feel more I comfortable. I, yeah, more comfortable. Because there's so many reasons I don't want this for Kira's character. One, I don't want a female character fridged for Han's man pain. Yeah. Two, Absolutely not. I don't want Leia to become this ghost of Kira that Han was like, Ah, oh, well, this one will do. This one lives. Couldn't have the first one. I'll get 2.0. This one's the second best. Yeah. I just really didn't want that to happen. And I think most of my fears of why I thought that might happen come from How I Met Your Mother. Yeah. <laughs> Welcome back to the How I Met Your Mother rant. The last question I have for, I pulled from Kira's interview is, uh, Anthony asks, The filmmakers describe her as a femme fatale in this movie. That is partly in a film noir. Uh, Amelia, it is. Mystery. There's a thing throughout the relationship that you just can't put your figure on, finger on, and that's Kira. Every time that you think you've got her number, you realize you haven't at all. Ha ha ha. She laughs. <laughs> Which is really hard to play. The goal is that the shadow of Kira is there in Han as a character that we know. The girl is another texture that makes up who he is when we first meet him. So, 
Yeah, I, I feel a little bit better about the difference in Kira's personality right now. Mm-hmm. First, reading that whole she plays along with the system for a while, I'm like, oh my god, if she's a senator, I swear to god. <laughs> right. But, but she can stuff, pose as a senator, that's fine. Yeah, if she's playing a more shadowy character, a more deceitful character, opposed to Leia's brutal honesty. Yeah. I could see why Han might, after he, if he potentially gets betrayed by this character, might be attracted to a personality that's more like, yeah, very blunt. If she's playing more, if she's more of a ventress, yeah, then she is like, again, not to keep comparing all these characters, but ventress and Leia are very different. Very. Um. Anyway, I'm gonna have you read the yes Lando stuff. So the last uh, part, we're just gonna cover some of the stuff that was said about Lando. Yeah. So we'll just a. Little, a few little quotes for Lando. Ooh. Uh, Anthony, in the film, you're paired with... Oh. Leap. Oh, oh boy. That's a name. Leap. In the film, you're paired with the character Leet. How would you describe their relationship? Donald. I think they're both kind of self-made, and they get each other that way. It's lovingly contentious. Uh, I don't know if me and Phoebe... We're like this uh, because I just love her. Being in a movie with her is kind of a blessing. I didn't even know I wanted. But she... But she also so smart? That's what's written here. I copy-pasted that, so... But she also so smart. She calls me out on it. That's what the sentence says. <laughs> it's just cool to have somebody like that around, you know? Really funny and really honest. Which, uh... It's cute to see that they're gonna have, like, a dynamic. Because yeah, I no, thought Leet was... Was gonna be... Amelia's yeah. droid. Yeah. yeah. So, it turns out she's Lando's. And also, I'm not sure if you knew this. I'm not sure if you knew this, but, uh... Leet is actually a droid who made herself. Like... Oh! So, she started off as, like, one droid, and then she just kept on building herself self until she... Until she became Leet? Until she became Leet. Rare goods. Hashtag. I don't know. Absolutely. <laughs> uh, Anthony. How would you define Lando's personality as a younger guy? How does he and Han differ? Uh, Donald. Uh, he likes to know his way in and out of any situation that he's in. Lando likes rules because he's somebody who is in a position position to benefit from the rules. Huh. Huh. Yeah, I guess we don't really know, like, shit about Lando's backstory, huh? That's why I really, I really hope they focus on Lando. There's a little part of me that got concerned because uh, they announced some Star Wars, new Star Wars book coming out, and one of them is about Han and Lando. And the, uh, I believe it was the author mentioned something about, oh, I think after seeing the movie, people really want to want to know more about Lando. And I hope that means he's the standout character, not, we didn't learn anything about him. Yeah, I hope it's the first thing and not the second thing. Yeah. Because that's an interesting quote. And I'm like, oh, I kind of always just assumed Lando was just like Han and like probably an orphan or something, but... That's not what that sounds like. Yeah. Uh, and the last one is, um, oh, to go back, because he benefits from the rules. Follow-up question, yeah. Anthony says, by getting around them? And Donald says, he's smart enough to figure out a way to get out of things, like loopholes. And I think Han is more of a rule breaker, and he can get, and he can kind of get away with it. Which I like. That's a really cool way of thinking about their dynamic and writing about their dynamic, because it's mm -hmm. very true. Is that Han's just, I don't give a shit, he's yeah. the rule breaker, but Lando kind of always found the loopholes for stuff. <laughs> Me too, and I hope he has a big role in this movie, because he's easily the character I'm most excited about. Yes. And 
So, so with these interviews, I am, I feel a little more secure about the things I was really fearing about this movie, mm-hmm. but we'll, we'll see Memorial Day weekend. We'll still see. Yeah. We'll still wait and see. But anyway, the heart of today's episode right. is about Star Wars Rebels. Oh, God. And headphone users beware. Yeah, because, holy shite, skis. Man, so when I was originally planning out this week's podcast, I was thinking that we would have time to do kind of like a a topic something else that we could go in-depth about something that happened in The Last Jedi, because nothing's going to happen in these episodes of Rebels. Because we we're just coming back. We're just coming back. Nothing big's going to happen. They're going to be, like, warming us back into the final yeah. the final countdown. This is going to be like, to get a little risque, it was going to be like the foreplay. Yeah. <laughs> to get you back in the mood for Star Wars. And boy, were we wrong. <laughs> yeah, we were wrong. Holy crap, man. So, there were two episodes that aired. The first one was called Jedi Knight. The second one was called Doom. Before we get into it, yes, we're going to be obviously talking about the spoilers. And yeah, if you haven't watched it, then bye. And see you next if week. If you think, oh, nothing big could have happened. No, you're wrong. Something huge, very big happened in this episode. So, if you don't want to know... This is probably the biggest thing that... No, this, 100%. This is the biggest thing that's ever happened in, in Rebels. Rebels. Absolutely. And... So let's get into our... Because this is the one that's concrete. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, we'll, we'll get to that when we get to that. Yeah. So Jedi Knight. Jedi starts, uh, Knight starts off with Kanan uh, looking into the eyes of a loath wolf, and then he proceeds to ask Ezra to lead the mission to rescue Hera. Um, I feel like this moment when it starts off, when I was watching it the second time, you kind of, you're like, oh, Kanan knows he's going to die. Oh, yeah, I think Kanan. So. Right in that moment, he's like, ah, Doom had a double meaning. <laughs> Got it. He's the first person to realize it. He's like, oh, it's me. Because later in the episode, when Ezra's like, Doom, that's my master's name. <laughs> I'm like, God damn it, Ezra. Dear Lord. No. But I think Kanan really, at that point, knows what's about to happen. And I think it's interesting that he asks Ezra to lead the mission to rescue Hera because... He approaches it from a very Jedi point of view, and I like how he explained it. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, Kanan goes and rescues Hera on his own. Yeah, he does. <laughs> He's like, Ezra, you... I need you to lead the mission. I can't be trusted. Fuck off, I'm going. That's Peace. what happened. He's like, I'm, you come up with the loath bat plan. Pass that. All me. Yeah. When we come back from Crystal Break, uh, Thrawn enters. He asks if... Price had gotten Hera to reveal the location of the rebel fleet, which I thought was hilarious because he's like, has she revealed the location of the rebel fleet yet? Because clearly not. Right. Like, if she had, you think Price would, like, oh, oh, I'm sorry, I forgot to tell you. Yes. They're on Yavin. Oh, man, I just haven't way too, I just didn't tell you. I was just loving torturing her. I I just got so caught up. But the bigger part of this scene is that Thrawn has the Calicori, which is uh, Hera's family heirloom. Mm-hmm. And we learn that, I think this is the first time we learned this, but correct me if I'm wrong, that Hera had a brother who died. I, I think that is the first time. So Hera had a brother. Because that's not in fix. No. It's nowhere. It, it, that would be in fix. They would write about that Absolutely. So Hera had a brother who died when he was young. And they also foreshadow that the Calicori doesn't just represent blood family members, but also people that serve great importance in your life. And that was the first moment that I'm like, Kanan's yeah. going on that. <laughs> that's what we're like, oh no. Oh, God. 
back where the uh, the ghost crew is, Ezra is able to sense where Hera is. And I think that's an interesting way of kind of alluding that Ezra can f- really sense life forces. Mm-hmm. So why he's a trustworthy source when, well, I mean, obviously Kanan dies. Mm-hmm. And so why he's a trustworthy source when that happens and feeling that. And they make this decision to fly in like bats. We'll just fly in like bats. I don't know how they make those in a couple hours, but that is for suspension of disbelief. Apparently, Zeb is an amazing seamstress. He, I bet you he is. I bet you I bet you, because no clothes would fit him. He's gotta, he's, he's gotta, gotta learn how to make them for himself. Uh, we cut to Kanan cutting his hair. That's that scene. Oh my god, what the fuck was that hair? It was like, at first we thought it was a fu- like a mohawk. And we were like, oh, I can get down I, with that. I was down with the mohawk, but then it was, it was just a, I think it was a strange model, because I think it was intended to sort of be a mohawk, but I think it was modeled strangely. Okay, but it was, it was shortish long on the top, and then it was bare, and then it was suddenly long again near the bottom. And I was like, what? Mullet, mullet mohawks. Mullet They're mohawk. They're coming in. No. It was awful. But later we learn he kind of does this to become a picture of what he looks like when he first met Hera, and mm-hmm. that, which is, I'm a big fan of full circle kind of stories. Oh yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. So it Fucked was really cute when Hera was like, "Oh, you look just like we look when we first met," and also, Kanan grew the full beard after what happened to Malachor, mm-hmm. and I think that was sort of represent that Kanan was letting himself go, not in like a spiritual way, but like. An old married man kind of way that he's yeah. like everything went to shit. Um, I'm just letting myself go. Except for the beard was handsome. It was very handsome. It was very I I liked the beard. Very handsome. So I think there's some like obviously there's the Jedi. Right, right, right. Sim or not Jedi sa- samurai symbolism, mm-hmm. the cutting of the hair, and that he's he's getting back in the game. He mulaned it. He Because instead it. of wiping off his makeup, he was like goodbye beard. Goodbye beard. Oh, is that girl I see? No one. I don't see anything. I'm blind. Except for I just made myself really sad. Because I was like, who's that girl I see staring straight back at me? Oh, it's Hera. (laughs) Oh, God. (laughs) Ow! And then uh, when they cut back to the Thrawn, they're doing this a really nice job of really bringing the movies and the shows together. Because they're talking about Thrawn's TIE Defender project, Mm -hmm. which is basically the top opponent to the Death Star, and so uh, Tarkin references Krennic here, and you kind of see that these two are battling over these respective projects, Mm -hmm. and Thrawn says that the the Emperor supports him and his project, and Tarkin's like, ah, well, the Death, well, Stardust, Krennic's been working on this for 20 years, and- It costs so much fucking money, alright. Bullshit, yeah, uh, I mean, go talk to the Emperor, it's fine. Oh yeah, Rook was there. I, I don't care about the Rook plot. I won't I'm lie to you. so sick of Rook. I don't, I don't very much care for this character, so I'm sorry you're not going to get any uh, in-depth talk about that because I don't care too much. Same. Ezra and Kanan and Sabine, they fly in, and Kanan has this nice little speech to Ezra, and he ends it with, you're a good listener, Ezra. It'll serve you now, and it'll serve you in the future. And Ezra's like, what? Why are you saying that? It's like, don't worry about it, I'm gonna go save our mom, bye. Bye. Well, your mom. Yeah. My wife. My wife. <laughs> so, I, I wonder where that's gonna come into play, and it could have just been, like, Ezra needs to listen to, like, these wolves that are in the later episodes. Mm-hmm. 
And then Kanan's last thing that he says to Hera, not Hera, the last thing he says to Sabine and Ezra is, may the force be with you. And then he drops off to go save Hera. Was Zeb not there? Zeb was not there. Zeb, that's why Zeb's... Oh, that's right. Introduction is really heartbreaking because he's so excited to see them when they come back. Yeah. So Kanan breaks in and we get drunk Hera. Yay, drunk Hera. We get drunk honest Hera. Which I... This part of the show is really interesting because later when Hera confesses to Kanan that she loves him, mm-hmm. Kanan's like, that's just the truth serum talking. I'm like, did you not listen to like, the key word? <laughs> truth? Right? You're like, uh, that doesn't mean she's lying. I mean, Kanan, did you, what? Listen to your words. You idiot. My favorite, my favorite, probably favorite part of the drunk Hera sequence is when Kanan gives her back the calicory. And he's like, I have a present for you. <laughs> and she's like, Kanan, this, this is, is mine. mine. <laughs> this is mine. You can't give it. It's not a present if it's already mine. <laughs> so they go and escape and they want to fly off on the, the little, little both bat things. And probably one of my favorite lines of the episode is Kanan saying, ah, oh, the kids came up with that one. Because it just like shows you... The little family that they made. Their mom and dad. Stop it. You're gonna make me cry. And I feel like this is just the beginning. Because we watched Rebels Recon <sighs> afterwards. And Andy, when she was interviewing the cast, she's like, Oh, Kanan was the first of the ghost crew to, do, to die. I'm like, the first? You're like, I, what? We know Hera's okay. Yeah, and honestly, Hera's the only other one I care about. I guess I, I like Sabine. I like. Well, I'll, I'll be sad about everybody else because I think everyone's. I'll be really sad. I'll shrug. But but Kanan. And Kanan. an interesting thing when we continue on this episode is that Kanan also continues telling Hera that he has something to tell her, and I kind of watched this the first time thinking it was that he loves her, mm-hmm. because that was what Hera needed to tell him. But when you rewatch it, you kind of get the picture that Kanan needs to tell her that, like, his his part of the story is over. That he knows he's di- gonna die here. But- and that he wants to tell her that. No, I agree. But also, Kanan's never said that he's loved Hera. Has he? No, but we- no, he technically hasn't. Yeah. But when he That kind of fucking sucks. The- I mean, he shows it, obviously. Yeah, but- it does. But when he mentions the- the thing about something I need to tell you, he's really sad about it. Yeah. He's not, like, nervous, like, oh, I need, to, I need yeah. to tell you something. He's like, this is gonna suck. This is gonna be really hard. So I think it's kind of a mixture of the thing. Mm-hmm. It's it's the I love you, but it's the I love you because I, I've seen the future. Doom I'm has two meanings. I'm gonna die. Yeah. Vanessa, Van- uh, Vanessa Marshall, who voices Hera, her voice acting in this episode was yeah. so superb. Yep. Um, in, like, the animation with Hera. Hera is always our favorite... Everything. Everything. But her animation is always top-notch. Mm-hmm. It makes up for everyone else being kind of pretty gumby. Yeah. And, yeah, like, we talked about this later. The the kids come to go get them. Uh, Kanan and Hera have the I love you moment. Which, we talked about a little bit, me and you, just last night. Mm-hmm. I think a little bit of this moment was weakened by the fact that they seem to ignore that 
a very similar situation to happen to this, like, four episodes ago. Yeah, very recently. So, I kind of wish the- I, I don't want to say, I want Ken and Kara to kiss as much as possible, but when you have that first sort of confession scene, where it wasn't a huge confession, it wasn't a confession of I love you, but it was obviously no. a confession of we have There's these feelings. really strong feelings yeah. here, it kind of did weaken this, for me at least, the- the- the impact of them trying to admit their love for each other throughout the episode. I agree, and I think the easy way to have fixed it would have been for Kanan to say it to Hera. Because Hera had already made all these first moves. Did she? She's the one that grabbed him and kissed him last time. Alright. I don't really remember. Oh, no! She was like, I'm sick of this, and she just grabs him and she kisses him. But at the same time, Hera is the more reserved of the two. I feel like she's the one, and Kanan's even mentioned that she was always the one that was kind of holding their relationship Well, right, because he is the one that, like, begs the question of her. He's like, what is our relationship earlier? Mm -hmm. But also, he's only, he's always just been questioning. I think Kanan's the one who's been always been more obvious about it. I mean, obviously Hera is too, but Kanan, especially with, like, meeting her parents, Kanan's always been the one... Yes, but again... To address their relationship more than Hera has been in the show. But he doesn't say it. No, he doesn't. He just dies. Yeah. <laughs> Which is... I I think if Rebels knows how to do anything, is they know how to do really great... Or, like, even Dave Filoni. I'll say this about Dave Filoni in general. He does really good exits slash death scenes. Like, character exits and character deaths. Because as Ahsoka's you, exit... As long as you tell us that that's arc, the exit... Yeah, as long as you tell us, but I think a lot has to do with Disney standards, so I can't even fault him too much for it. No, that's true. You're right. Because I think Ahsoka's potential exit in the series... What needs to be her exit. (laughs) In my opinion, what needs to be exit. Who knows? Next episode, maybe this is all for nothing and she's still alive and I'll be like, what? No, Vader needed to be the one who killed Ahsoka. Yep, no, that's how I'll feel. Yep. And then the last thing that Kanan sees... Is that he kind of gets the eyesight back, and from Rebels Recon, we kind of get the uh, idea that this is more of a symbolic thing. Oh yeah, absolutely. Is that he's just gained Jedi clarity, and the last thing he sees is Hera's. It's a close-up on Kanan's eyes, and it's close-up on close-up on Hera's eyes. On, on Hera's fucking destroyed, destroyed face. face. <laughs> just heartbreaking. I'm gonna cry again, because- And it's... everything, like the music in this scene, the, la- the last thing that he sees is her, it's- Perfect, and this, like, inverted title screen, because it's usually the white on black, and this time it's the black on white. It, oh, it was so unbelievably well done, and now that we know that it's wrapping up, and these kind of moments need to happen, we need to know why these Jedi characters aren't there, why Luke is the last one. Yeah. And I, I, throughout the series, I kept flip-flopping, but what, if I thought they were really going to do it, and I'm still, I still don't know about Ezra. Verdict is still out on Ezra. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, Kanan seemed to be the more likely, if only one of them was going to die, Kanan seemed to be the one oh, that's more likely. Oh, absolutely. And I thought it was extremely well done. A lot of people didn't like this episode. And, Interesting. Which is strange because I think these were two of the best episodes since the season two finale. Yes. I thought they had a lot of emotion. They were really well done. I mean, I've jokingly said that I hate Star Wars now. But. But it was really well done. It was really well done, and it was something that. I mean, it needed to happen. It, it did. needed to happen. I didn't want it to happen yet. I wasn't ready for it to happen yet. And that's yet. why we were really. When that was happening, 
we almost didn't have emotions at first because because we're pulling another Malachor situation where you don't know if he's really dead. And I think I think the Ahsoka art kind of bit them in the ass there. Mm-hmm. Because if it turns out Ahsoka is really dead and she did really die there. Everyone's going to be pissed and be like, why did you like play us like that? Mm-hmm. And I'm a person who wants that to be her final Me moment. too. Yeah, I think they have sullied their death scenes a little bit. I, I won't totally blame this on the show because I will, as someone who worked in children's TV for mm-hmm. a while, I know that standards makes you dance around violent crimes it makes you dance around death a lot yeah but like you can only use words like death like twice in an episode that you yeah you can do that else. in the episode but i'm talking about what they've been doing outside of episodes and at yeah. conventions exactly. and stuff yeah. like that yeah no that's the problem that i have but they're like hey maybe we'll see ahsoka again she's still around in some way you're like stop please stop it stop so, so the second part of the episode is doom D-U-M-E, so Caleb Doom, it's spelled like Kanan's last name. And also, the word Doom, which no one else has made that all means two things realization yet. So yeah, I was really shocked that Kanan's death happened as early as it did. Because we have six episodes left. And I understand it at one point, because we do really need to see Ezra without a master. The show is about Ezra. And so we yeah. do need to see these, this last trek of his journey being without a master because it's, it's probable that Ezra isn't going to survive this series either. I do think there are options for him potentially surviving, but it, I mean, they definitely had the, the guts to kill Kanan, which I am very impressed with, actually, because I didn't think they were going to do that. And I think we'll probably see another Ghost Crew death all we know for sure is that Hera lives. I think Sabine has no reason to die. I don't think Sabine has any reason to die, absolutely. I think Zeb, given his uh, given his connection with Rook, I think Zeb might actually yeah, no, be the next one to die. I think Rook might end him. Yeah, I think there's a reason why Rook is here, and as much as I don't care for him, and also there's a reason why Rook can specifically smell out people like Zeb. Mm-hmm. There's a specific... He's Zeb. been hunting down Zeb's species, and yeah. Zeb is the last one. Yeah. So, I wouldn't be surprised if that happens, and then we have to see how Ezra deals with that. Mm-hmm. And maybe even Sabine, because Sabine is the one that made sure Rook didn't get killed. He, yeah, that will be... I mean, we'll talk about that when we get through more of this episode. So, the episode starts off, and when as Zeb's, like, waving at the, like, ghost ship when they're coming in, and it's... Oh, man. That was heartbreaking to watch. Because you just watch Kaden die. and Because and, we watched the episodes one after another, and we're still not totally sure if Kaden's dead. No. Then, then again, I will say that's probably my one critique of the episode. And I can't even really critique the episode because they can't show the body like they did in Clone Wars. In Clone Wars, they had no problem showing the body. And also, they had no problem having Ahsoka drag the dead Jedi for miles and miles and yeah. be like, corpses to be fair horrible it also was an explosion so there wouldn't be a body but he just rejoined the force and Mm -hmm. he's fine so we kind of were maybe like well maybe maybe he's not dead maybe he'll just pop back up he was force fielding it maybe he'll be fine and I, i think this is probably the time i've most connected with sabine in a long time i think her grieving is great i i really like how they mad really dove 
deep into the different ways of handling grief yeah. and how Sabine is furious pissed. and pissed and Hera's just kind of in shock. She's kind of a little delusional mm-hmm. and Ezra, he's the one that has to tell Zeb mm-hmm. and he kind of goes to Zeb and goes and hugs him, which is like, so Ezra's the one who was like going to go look for comfort in others and when Chopper... Well, don't even talk about it! When... That's what drove it home for me, because... When Chopper went and went... Now I like Chopper. Me too. That's that's when we we screamed. We screamed like we had been murdered. And I was surprised that our neighbors didn't come in to check on us, because we shrieked so loudly when that happened. It was shrill. That's that's when it really just... My, like, voice broke. Like, it was... It was... A terrible sound that came out of me. Mm-hmm. It was like someone had actually just got murdered in front of me. <laughs> and so in Star Wars, we don't get periods of grief for very long. So that's why I did really like this episode. Mm-hmm. And of course, you kind of want more of it. But in terms yeah. of Star Wars grief, this is the most we've gotten in forever. Besides maybe Anakin, because he's always is just grieving Padme. Yeah. But... In terms of other characters handling death, we don't really see grief happen that we often. We don't. A lot of times the only way that we see it happen is by them closing themselves off to it. Mm-hmm. Which is valid, but it doesn't narratively have the same impact that th- these kind of things did. Yeah, because I, I like that everyone had their different uh, styles of grieving. They show it, that the people have different kind of ways. Uh, tag yourself. I'm a... I'm, I'm Sabine and Zeb. That was me. That was just like, I'm just gonna blow everything up now. Bye. But. I guess, I guess Hera. I I get mad, but I've never lost someone that close to me before. Mm -hmm. And I think I would be in shock. Yeah, I definitely am a person who, in times of sadness, gets mad before anything else. So Ezra goes and finds a moment alone. And the Lothwolves kind of appear when... Ezra really starts doubting himself and mentioning that he's afraid. And the wolf, the wolf wolves are get angry. They do. About, and I, they really get angry at the moment right after Ezra says, Kanan didn't prepare him for this. Uh-huh. And I think that's the wolves way of being like, shut the fuck up. Yes, he did. That's what he's, this is what he's been preparing you for, for a long time. Yeah. This whole season, he's kind of been mentioning that like one day you won't have me. Yeah. He's been preparing you for this. He's so definitely said that like, a few times. F that. Um, we cut back to Thrawn and Price, where it turns out that Price, in her mission to kill Kanan, basically destroyed the Tide Defender project. And we get to see scary, angry Thrawn mm-hmm. again, which is when I love Thrawn the most, because I really like his character of being... I mean, he's kind of, like, super collected all the time in calculating and so I like seeing the moments where he cracks and gets really angry mm-hmm. and we've only really seen it like once before when they were on Ryloth and you see it there of him getting really angry again and that's the times where I, l- I most love Thrawn. Mm-hmm. He then tells Price to expect them to be reckless which is basically what Sabine and Zeb are going to go do <laughs> yeah, right absolutely. now. And so they're like, don't worry, we, we, we got this. And then they cut to Hera when she's in the little temple-y area. Era? Area? 
Yeah, and she's got her... What's it called again? The Calicory. Calicory. The doodly bum. Yeah. And that's when we were like, Oh, no! One side is shorter than the other! She's like, I'll make a little thing for Kanan. And you're like... Yeah, that that one I called from the first episode. Yeah. I'm like, oh, no. That, that spot is going to Kanan. And I think... I bought the special edition Black Series fucking Thrawn figure just because it came with the Calicori, and now, and now! Now the Calicori's inaccurate. Yeah! I'm fucking pissed! And, there, so, uh, Hera's talking to Chopper in this scene, and I think it's interesting that they play a little bit of Leia's theme during this. Which, Leia's theme is also a love theme, mm-hmm. so I think that's kind of what they were doing there, and so that was, I just like hearing Leia's theme. So, so basically, Sabine and uh, Zeb set these traps, but then end up going home and not doing too much, they're just going to be set these trackers. Mm-hmm. And Sabine has this really n- nice speech about not knowing, and not having speech, but she's just talking about how she doesn't know how they're going to defeat the Empire, and she's kind of like losing this hope. And... What I love so much about Rogue One and where we're at at Rebels right now is that it's getting me so excited for Luke. <laughs> like, you just know how much these people need Luke and what Luke is going to do for them. And you know how, what Luke is going to do for them. Mm-hmm. And so when you see these times of, like, hopelessness or these sacrifices, you get so excited that Luke's going to be here soon. Luke's going to join the fight soon. And I know that's not the point of these shows, but... In a weird way, they just make me love Luke Skywalker even more. He's a good boy. Mm-hmm. He won't bring Kanan back, though. <laughs> no. <laughs> He'll bring peace to the galaxy. Who cares? So, uh, Ezra, after being chased around by the wolves for a while, he, like, gets knocked out by them and then wakes up, and it's just the night time. <laughs> and it's that big wolf. Well, it's not that yet. He's... He's oh, just yeah. in the middle of the night, and he just kind of plays the eeny, meeny, miny, mo game. Oh, that's right. Which I'm sure has some more philosophical meaning that I don't quite understand, but it's like the loath bat, loath cat, loath rat, loath wolf, wolf run, run yeah. something like that. Yeah. Pick a path and then you're done, which I think is just an eeny, meeny, miny, mo of him trying to choose where to go. Yeah. I do think there's, because he keeps, He's like, he no. keeps playing the game over and over again, because he doesn't like the path that it's picking for him. Yeah. So Which I do is, think that's probably the, the symbolic reason. That's yeah. where the sim- symbolism is. He's like, no, not that one. No, no, no. But then eventually, uh, the wolf sniffs Ezra, and immediately, Ezra's like, Kanan? And still, it's, I mean, the wolf, it's Kanan. Yeah. That, uh, so he It's even fucking got it, Freddie Prince Jr. It's voiced voice. by Freddie Prince Jr., it has Kanan's armor sim- symbol on his forehead. Well, that's what that was. Because yeah. I was like, why does he have a trine it? It's, uh, it's the armor, it was a symbol that was on Kanan's armor. Which, some have pointed out also, I mean, it looks like the rebel symbol in a way. But it also looks like oh. the horse tree. Oh. Yeah. yeah. So, it is interesting that it kind of looks like all of these different things. I just thought it looked like a trident. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just a trident. It's Ariel's dad. Yeah. But... I will say my other critique of this episode, and the design critique, I did not like the design of this wolf's face. Nope. He looks like a frog. He did 100% look like a frog. Yep. And I know that they're kind of supposed to be, like, reptile-ish, like, amphibian-ish guess, yeah, like... animals, but 
too too much that, too much frog. That face kind of freaked me out a little bit. But so we cut away and Zeb has his face off against Rook for the first time, and Zeb is going to town. He's going to kill this mofo. Mm-hmm. And Sabine convinces Zeb not to be so reckless, even though I'm like, why? <laughs> this Who guy knows? is trying to kill you. He's. And has been trying to kill you for a very long and time. You're like, oh, we'll send him back with a clown face. <laughs> That'll show him in it, a kid's show. Yeah. I mean, that that's that's the reason, but... I've, and, and another reason why I think if... I think the most likely the next Ghost Crew member to die, if that happens, is probably Zeb. Yeah. And it'll probably be at the hands of Rook. Yeah. I hope Sabine doesn't die. I don't, I don't see think, the point I don't think she needs die. to. I don't like that. I mean, maybe they can do it in a way that I would enjoy it, but I think it would just be a pointless death at that point. For me, it would be like, why are you taking her away from her family? She has this fight. Yeah. She can still have a place in this story. And also, she has a big plot point to go to on Mandalore, so mm-hmm. it's not like her absence in the Rebellion is unexplained. Yeah, no. It's... She has Mandalore to go back to. So. Unless you're just driving the point home that, like, this is a fucking war. I, it seems unnecessary, personally. Yeah. I think of likeliness to die, this is the most morbid conversation. Mm-hmm. It's probably Zeb, Ezra, Sabine, and then obviously we know Hera lives. Yeah. And Chopper. Hera and Chopper yep. also live. There you go. The dream team. That's how- What if the one in the movie, it's not Chopper, it's just a rebuilt Chopper and Chopper actually dies? Wow. She's got Chop 2. Wow. Tooper. Tooper. <laughs> uh, we cut back to Ezra and Doom and the wolf. The wolf who introduces, who introduces himself as Doom. Doom. And Ezra's like, huh, that's strange. That's my master's name. Weird. What a quinky dink. What a small world. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. 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 Are you guys related? I wonder. Wow. The, the wolf presents Ezra with a tablet from the Jedi Temple. And it's presented, it's a tablet that has these three hand symbols on them, which uh, I found on Twitter are the three hand symbols the Mortis Art characters are doing in their, yeah, are doing in their mural. So I think Mortis Art is coming next. Mortis Art, then maybe Ahsoka. Mortis Art 2.0. Maybe like a Forest Ghost Ahsoka. Because I think Ahsoka's the, like, sort of the owl-ish. Absolutely. Her spirit's there. I think between the two of them, like, okay, I think something representative of Ahsoka can still be around. I just don't want, like, Ahsoka to be full out 100% alive and okay. Yeah, no, I completely agree. Like, it's like, oh, I was just, I was trapped in that temple for a long while. If they do something like the the daughter is manifesting herself as Ahsoka or something, because she's like, this is the last physical form I had. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that works. And she's like, no, 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 I'm gone. The daughter gave her last bit of life for Ahsoka, so... I'm cool with that. Exactly. Down with that. Then the wolf kind of gives him this this instruction of restore past, redeem future. Mm. Don't know what that means, but I like that the wolves mention redemption. (laughs) Right? Because you need to redeem yourself for a future. Right, Kylo living? Okay? Being alright? Yeah. Right, baby? Restore the past. Which, and he's determined to destroy it. Yeah. And so once Kylo's like, oh, I need to, like... Restore it instead. Restore it. Then... Then he'll redeem his own future. They're restoring the past. That's like restoring the Empire. Restoring the good parts of the past. (laughs) Well, no, yeah. I'm not talking about him restoring the the bad past of the past. Good parts of the past. Redeem your future. Like, 
restoring the Jedi Order mm-hmm. or something. And the episode kind of ends up Shrugs. with um, Hera ending the uh, adding the Cali- the, the, the episode ends with Hera adding the Kanan piece to the Calicori mm-hmm. and says something about how Kanan could always find an answer in the most unexpected way. So I think that's even more proof that, mm-hmm. well, one, it kind of drives home the point that Hera and everyone's kind of come to the realization that not only did Kanan die to save them, but Kanan destroyed their... Their Death Star. Their, their, the TIE def- Defender yeah. thing. So, yeah, they're, the, the Ghost Crew's equivalent of the Death Star. Yeah, exactly. That was so, their Death Star. That, that was, was their, their mission, and they succeeded, at least in shutting it down for a while. Mm-hmm. And at least until they can potentially get more help. Because yeah. I think we've, the last episode's gotta be more of the Rebels coming in, because Rex has to be there. We've seen none of Redeemed Callus. Mm-hmm. We've seen him for very, very little. So I think he has to come in. At the end, I mean, I will never say no to more Mon Mothma. Not Mon Mothma, but yes, Mon Mothma. I meant Bail Organa. Yeah. That's who I want to see more of. And also, you know what? Still not too late for a cameo. Of from, Cody? From K2SO. Oh, K2SO and Cassian! Cassian. But also Cody. <laughs> I mean, I'd be down, but yep. I don't think they're going to be able to fit that arc in. Because no. that was like, that'd be like a two-part episode that I wanted, but I don't think that's going to fit in. Yeah, no, I definitely think that we have a... Yeah, I don't know if we're going to get any more cool cameos at the end of this, because I think they're really just going to focus on the ghost crew yeah, this I know. year. But yeah, I do think it. it was such a missed opportunity not to put Cassian and K2 in the show. He's the fulcrum. We know. We went to the... the What was it? The virtual reality thing. Yeah, the void. And Cassian definitely was the fulcrum. He even has a symbol. Mm-hmm. So hopefully the next, I think the next episodes are them going to the Jedi Temple, which is hopefully the Jedi, the Mortis arc references, mm-hmm. because the Mortis arc is fantastic. And I think the end of the series is going to be really solid. I think this was a really strong welcome back. I think it's going to be an, a, a very painful. Yeah. It was very strong. It hurt a lot. Mm-hmm. I cried a fucking lot. There was like sobbing. Like, had to put my hands, head down, just, like, sobbing in the couch for a little bit. Mm-hmm. Body violently shaking, sobbing. Yeah, but it was really well done. Something that, in a way, needed to happen, but still had a lot of purpose. Yeah. And really drives the end of Ezra's story home, because Ezra kind of needs this journey without a master. The end of the, this thing and learning from Kanan. I just wish I could have a Kanan ship that survives. That'd be nice. <laughs> I yeah. Wouldn't that be nice? Wouldn't it be nice if you just lit it and you smooched a lot in front of me. Oh, gross. Well, not like self-inserty, but like I'm watching the TV. No! Oh, okay, and then the TV. Like, no, I'm just sitting there watching. <laughs> no! You're gross. Like pervert. it's happening on the TV screen, and I'm like, ah. Anyway, guys, thank you for listening to another episode of Who Talks First. We'll be back with another uh, review of Rebels next week, because I'm sure I it's just going to be a pain train from here on out. That was witty. You're witty. Good job. Pain train. It rhymes. I mean, that's just like a known phrase. It is? Yes. I've never heard that before. Really? Nope. That, well, I'm, then, yeah, I came up with it. <laughs> I'm very clever. 
I'm your clever host. I'm CT. I'm your ignorant host. I'm Solo. And we'll see you next time. Bye.